0: hello everyone and welcome to the podcast it you go that saying for year 2022 i am your host andrew lewis and we now that the men's international season is pretty much over in australian cricket we're going to talk about the ashes and then we're going to talk about we're going to do some reminiscing because that's what we'd like to do about cricket so i've got my resident cricket expert with me cameron mcdonald how are you cameron g'day punter it's not a bad um
1: Not a bad day to have
0: a cricket podcast, is it? 2-4-22? It it isn't. But then I would suggest that if the day ends in a Y, it is a good day to talk cricket. Especially when not only did your team win the Ashes, not only were you there for the clinching 80 minutes of test cricket, got all my money's worth, um, at day three with you, my good friend, as we watched uh, Australia uh, clean up the tail. Very long English tail. Wow. It turned out to be on December 28th at Melbourne. Not often Melbourne gets to see a live test in the ashes, but it was live and it was the clinching test match. But not only that, but I haven't listened back, but I think I had four
1: nil. Yeah, you've, um, you've nailed that one, sir. Um, I don't know why I, I think I, I just almost gave them a, a test from their uh, white ball form on paper. I, I, I thought they'd sneak one somewhere, but um, with the benefit of hindsight, they were they were sort of lucky to, to get away with that draw. It's um it's an interesting
0: segue mentioning their white ball form because I'm not sure they made a total they would have been able to defend in a white ball game. They didn't, they, no. They're... they're Biggest total they made um was in that first test when they made two nine seven um in the second innings, which was barely enough to get Australia to bat again. If you've been living under a rock. Um Australia won the first test at the Gabba by nine wickets. It was an auspicious start to the series, to say the least, when Rory Burns was bowled, clean bowled by Mitchell Stark from the very first ball of the series. Magnificent. Um, the second test, uh, Australia won by 275 runs. Um, that was the pink ball test in Adelaide. The third test, Australia made 267 and somehow won by an innings um, in two days and 80 minutes of cricket in Sydney, um, which was probably the best test match for to and fro, but um, England was set 388 in just over a day, and they managed to hold on for a draw, um, despite an inspired bit of captaincy from Pat Cummins when he threw Steve Smith the ball late on the last day. Had, well, not quite Michael Clarke against India in 2008, but um, it nearly got there. And then yeah, the fifth Test match, and um, Hobart put on a show about another three-day Test match, uh, Australia winning by 146 runs, Bowling England out for 188 and 124. I want to start with England's batting performance because I think it is the obvious reason why England were not only lost the series, but were not competitive. Their totals in order. 147, 297, 236, 192, 185, 68, 294, 9 for 270, 188 and 124.
1: Yeah. It's I don't um see any... it none just of seems saw it being this bad, did we?
0: Well, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before or whether just in conversation with you, Cameron, but English teams that succeed in Australia tend to have uh a consistent characteristic. Certainly in my lifetime where I've seen two English teams uh, come here and win the ashes. That was in nine eighty six, seven and in two thousand and ten eleven. Um, and that was they had a dominant opening batsman in the series. Now, Chris Broad's test career away from that 86-87 series and one more test match in Australia a year later, the Bison Telling Test match where he scored another hundred, um, was pretty unremarkable. But he had played six test matches in Australia for either three or four Test hundreds. It was an astonishing, um he had an astonishing record in Australia. Um Obviously, Alistair Cook had an enormous 2010 um, 11. Also, made an enormous double hundred, I think, in 2017 18 on that uh, featherbed of, of a deck in Melbourne, which caused so much consternation. Um, also, Michael Vaughan, I think, opening the batting made 300s in 2002 3, which is a series where England was certainly more competitive than this. Um, they tried, I think, three different guys opening the batting and. Really couldn't find the right pair. Um, Hamid looked promising early; looked like he would not give us oh. a early. But they then, after a couple of test matches, they had figured him out. Um, Rory Burns was the scapegoat initially, but then came back in for the last test and um, and Crawley looked right. He was the other man they tried at the top of the order? Um, made a seventy-seven in the second test, but, um, again, you know, no big score, no, um, yeah, I mean, Crawley was probably the best of them, but he only played the last two test matches.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. Um, those first couple of test matches, I mean, I did, the whole thing about the That's English, the English, uh, batting lineup is, I, I, I can recall series that finished five nil where Australia at least had to pull one out of the fire. Mm. We all remember that return ashes and the, you know, Warren McGrath um, and Langer retiring. And, um, you know, amazing Adelaide was amazing because KP and Paul Conling would put on a million. And, uh, they, they they this team this England team never really threatened to do so. It was it was so meek. Um, Joe Root, uh, he, he's got to be disappointed because t- for for my money he looked by far and away the best batsman on either team. Um, when he was set and when he was going, um, it's it's magnificent to watch. But it, you know he, he's he's wasted a bunch of fifties again as he did. On previous tours. And he's he's you know he's nearly run out of chances to um, to dominate a summer in Australia, despite being a player good enough to do so. Um, it was still left to him and Milan in those first couple of test matches. Um, you know, Milan's series dropped off pretty remarkably, but you know, there were a couple of decent little fight backs from the two of them uh, here and there. So on the opening question. Uh, Milan's ability to ride the bounce in those first couple of test matches made it seem to me that the obvious shift to that batting lineup that may have worked or may have seen England not be, you know, two down for nothing when Root strides to the wicket was um, potentially opening up with uh, Milan in Australia as as um, unorthodox as that may seem, and batting him with uh, Crawley who after he makes that breezy 77, it's hard to believe he wasn't in the team in the first place. Um, And he's a lot Mm. of fans in England. So there's something to build on there, certainly. Um, But if we're talking about picking a team to succeed um, in Australia, um, Burns, for all his dogged runs in England, um, uh, just gets squared up far too easily. And as you say, they they figured out Hamid. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's bizarre though because we retain the ashes in England and and stick with an opening pair that that cannot make a run. So there's that the, the old thing of just you know setting and forgetting, just picking those guys and and sticking with it um, seems to be the the way that most cricket teams go. Um, but yeah, there there was some feeble. Well, stuff I think I the- think
0: Australia wanted to. I've I think Australia wanted to stick with Harris and Warner until it was quite obvious that the that Warner that Harris was the only one they could leave out going into the fifth test that they had to retain Kawaja after he made hundreds in both innings in Sydney. Yeah,
1: you know, oh, it's yes, just like, yeah, this was, I mean, this was in reference to our English, uh, our ashes yeah. in England where, where mm. Warner and Harris, we were two for nothing every time with Lava, mm. Shane and Smith to dig us out of a hole. Um, yeah. our, you know, we, we did enough this summer. Um, Harris made some gritty runs in Melbourne, and and you're exactly right. You know, looked for all money like he might stick it out, and if it wasn't for um, one of the finest moments of the summer, really, um, and those twin hundreds from Kawaja in in Sydney, he arguably played. And and so the, you know, as that was all uh, unfolding, um, popular opinion was that Harris might even keep his place, but that Kawaja had shored up um, a guaranteed. Um, spot on the tours to Pakistan and, and, and through Asia um this year. Um but it just it became so popular and so overwhelming that um that Khawaja gets it, a start on on the green top and probably wishes he hadn't. Yeah. It was uh, I mean it was sort of the feel I mean it certainly was the feel good story
0: the summer other than England's inability to, you know, bat. Um it was the story of the sun was Kawaja's just hundreds and you know, he's, he's largely an unfulfilled cricketer because of how little test cricket he's played considering yeah. his record. Um, 3,142 runs at 42, 10 hundreds, 1450. So a good conversion rate, but you know, on a number of occasions he's been at the scapegoat is his record in England isn't terrible. Um, Three hundreds. Uh, oh, sorry, versus England. His record in England is a little shabby, but um, he's made runs in a few other, in a few places around the world, including on the subcontinent in those type of conditions. So, I think there's certainly a feeling looking forward to the Pakistan tour, and the schedule was announced today for that. So, I'm, I'm you know, it, it's encouraging that that is going to ha- That that series is going to go forward yeah. um, in full next month. Um but um, yeah, I feel like also you were you were talking about this before the series is that England didn't bring Dom Sibley, who was opening the batting during the English summer um they didn't bring him at all, so look I feel like they England got it close to it to getting the the order right in Sydney. um you know, Besto made. One hundred and thirteen and forty one, but he got hurt, so he couldn't play in the last test match. But um, Stokes, I mean, uh, sorry, Joe Root. I can't remember a guy in a series making, you know, getting out from nowhere so often. He'd just be, he'd look, he'd be looking really solid, and then suddenly he'd just play it one on fourth, fourth and a half stump line and nick one through. And they are all they're all very similar dismissals, except for probably the last one on that third evening in Hobart, where uh, I know that the nickname that um, the late Bob Willis once had for Ian Botham was Golden Bollocks. Um, <laughs> Bollocks just hit a spot that's just rolled along the ground, and Clem is just like, well, I think I'll go home now. And uh, the look on Joe Root's face was just over. like, you know, "Oh,
1: well... Getting um, back in the box that many times, and, I mean, Joe Root's Series on its own is a documentary because, um, you know, we for a little while there, sensational. It looked like a matter of when he would get the hundred rather than if he would get it. Um, and then he, you know, once he got one, you could easily see him getting a couple more. Um, such was his um early series, um, form. And then we we found a little match up, and I, I I could spend the rest of the podcast talking about Cameron Green um if you like um the all i knew before the series started was you know i think we referenced him as a bit of a pop gun bowler like we we weren't sure about him at all um but we thought there might be some a chance for him to feast on a tired english bowling attack in 40 degree heat you know in in the style of the the marsh brothers making all those tons um going back a little while um i thought five and six would be the spots and that green might get some some runs this summer but um, we found him first this summer as a bowler and he was just superb and was getting really good players out um, at, at the end of like it green was always at one end when Australia needed to turn the screws if we'd had a bad session in the ashes Green was often involved in a bowling partnership that just turned the screws on route You know, multiple um, spells of you know thirty to fifty balls with not a single run scored, Um, and and often that was a little bit much for Root, who would then fend at one, just looking to get off strike. Um, Those old problems of Root making so many runs through the gully region uh, in England, um, but not being quite able to write. Slightly special happens on an Australian wicket, or if a A big boy from Western Australia manages to just get a little bit more on, um, you know, coming down from that height. And, um, yeah, we've got a player on our hands in Cam Green, that's for sure. But it seemed to be, you know, if the pendulum would swing one way in in one session on one particular day of the test, and it didn't happen often, um, that we'd just be able to clamp it um, on on himself and and Milan or whoever else was out there and, uh, and prize that wicket away. Uh, Cameron
0: Green makes anything possible for this team, probably over the next ten years. Um, you know, he's going to be such a huge weapon in this upcoming Pakistani series because he gives the Australians the comfort they they need to play two spinners. Um, they can absolutely go ahead and do that if they've got three quick options. If they've got someone else who can come in and, and bowl, not just take the ball when when the new bowlers might be a bit tight, which might happen a little bit sooner um, in warmer conditions um, when there's still a bit of show on the ball, but also, you know, bowl a four or five over spell um, for something different just to keep rotating the bowlers between new balls. Um, I heard him
1: speaking with uh, Adam Collins, actually, one morning uh, of a test match towards the end of the series, and... um, Collins asked whether he'd be willing to take the new ball in in Pakistan, um, which would infer that, you know, George Bailey could get real funky with selection, um, you know, which I don't think he'd be opposed to doing on a tour like that and picking Green at six and potentially Mitch Marsh getting back into that team um, and picking Cummins, um, you know, and, and, and Green said he'd be up for that because, you know, I mean, I'm sure any cricketer would say they'd be up for that, but, um, you know according to you know he's, he's on a um, he's being managed I suppose by the physios currently but the the word is it's four over spells but it's as many of them as you want so um, you know he can take that new ball in Pakistan and and yeah you um, and towards the end of the series we saw um, the potential in his batting I suppose and it was good to see him break do, through do- because for all the, the dominance he'd had with the ball there were still people calling for his head. The other thing that does, if
0: you're bringing Mitch March into the into the equation, is if the team maybe the, maybe they lose the first test or maybe they play poorly in the first test, it does give you the option of playing them at six and seven, and and just shoring up the batting order.
1: Yeah, that's right. Play
0: maybe and then Carey at eight, Cummins at nine, um, with the two spinners. You know that. Nathan Lyon's not well, despite the fact how he batted in the series, he's earned a reputation over the course of his career with the bat as someone who doesn't give his wicket away. So, um, yeah, they 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 could go in a number of directions. And the other thing is, if you, they could get really funky with a lineup if they if they think about Glenn Maxwell.
1: Yeah, could, and I pray that
0: they do. You could you, you know, could like you... you could play, you could you could play all three of them. And three specialist bowlers, and yeah, I mean it was interesting that um, you would probably have to. It would depend on which one of the batsmen you leave out. Travis Hedge just won Test Player of the Year. Um, you know who knows, but um,
1: and I think good, it's a good deserves, problem to have. Head deserves a little bit of uh, time on this podcast as well, uh, as well, much as we thought, thought number five might the, cash in. That hundred in Hobart is one of the best I've seen.
0: i'd have to say it's one of the best i've seen um not one i necessarily would have advised over the course of the journey but look there are people who are who know more about cricket than i do um who certainly feel that in that sort of situation and you know it was in terms of commentary the summer of the phrase of the day (laughs) um and the, the phrase of the day on that day was one with his name on it. Um, as if to suggest you, you just go noodling around and trying to survive. Eventually you'll cop a delivery with your name on it. Um, so head just decided to take the game away. Now in England in 2013, when Michael Clark decided to bat that way, when Stuart Broad was taking eight for 24 or whatever it was, um, that almost caused me to break my television. Um, <laughs> But it, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's an attitude to Test cricket which ignores the fact or, or the possibility of a draw. But when it works, like it did then, I mean, it was just an astonishing innings because it just took the game away from England there, there right there and then.
1: Um, and maybe maybe there's a difference between you know when when you're referencing there's one with your name on it. Maybe there's a difference there between. I know it was Lava Shane at the other end getting out comically, but someone who's who's that tidy and that <laughs> compact, um, you know, typically might be able to survive um, a, a session from a, a series of noodlers on a green top like that. But, um, you know, th- there's probably an argument to say that uh, that Travis Head wouldn't um, unless he counterpunched. And I was listening <laughs> to um, Alex Dolan at the time, um, who of course would have played a lot of,
0: uh, cricket down there. He was on the um, on the ABC call, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, he was, and he he was he was very good to listen to, and and he was referencing um, Travis Head coming out and doing that to Tasmania um, one particular day, and and you know that they had South Australia in trouble, and 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 suddenly Head was on forty, and um the the tide had just turned, so. Remarkable innings, and you know he chanced his arm at the Gabba too for a for a hundred off, off not that many balls, um, from a historical point of view, um, and yeah, he I mean he's he's shored up number five now um, where it, it was a it was a dice roll uh, or a coin toss I should say before the first test of the summer, um, perhaps the selectors felt that uh, you know Kawaja offered. Um, Stability um, and a win now type of mentality. And Head was a a look to the future, but you know, we got a little bit of both um, in those brilliant hundreds. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, Head's
0: 100 at the Gabba was 152 in 148 deliveries. He was last man out. Um, It's sort of been forgotten. Um, And then, first. Innings in Hobart comes in with with Australia at 3 four twelve. Mm. Warner, Kawaja and Smith in the sheds and scores 100 and 113 balls. There have been some pretty remarkable hundreds scored at the Gabba considering the lack of test cricket that's been played there. Um, mm. Warner, Cairn, Cow- is back oh, in the second at, test uh, match. Yeah, at Hobart
1: rather,
0: yeah. against New Zealand to almost win a test match um yeah i mean they just the six i know it i know it sort of sounds like we're waxing lyrical and we we haven't talked we haven't talked about a much about cummins captaincy which i thought was good um yeah mitchell stark getting through five test matches without a problem uh, um really um steve smith coming back to earth which is what happened to I don't think I don't think in terms of statistics, uh, guys like Ricky Ponting and Michael Clarke quite hit sixty that late in his career. But this was always going to happen um, yeah. to Smith, so I'm not I'm not worried. And I think he's still got one or two more really important knocks in him. The Travis Head hundreds is uh, we touched on a bit like the sort of hundreds that Ricky Ponting made early in his career when he batted six, where. Regardless of circumstances, he would when he really hit his straps, probably about 1999 2000. There's so a 197 at the gap at uh, the Wacker when I yeah. think Australia had Pakistan, Pakistan and Australia like four for 50. And then the next test was against India and Adelaide, he did exactly the same thing. So yeah, coming off
1: three ducks from memory, yeah,
0: yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the series against Pakistan was duck, 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 197. Yeah, so yeah. and 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 was really dirty when he got out for 197 too. um There's
1: a couple more good tasmanian hundreds in that series
0: um um so lot to like lot to like about the australian team but pakistan um, will present a different challenge and one that the australians haven't faced um since I was in my first year of university so it was a long time
1: ago cameron it's a long time
0: ago
1: <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's just brilliant to be heading
0: but, um, back there job, and job done. To be heading back there with Kawaja in the team. Mm, job done, ashes retained, um, and we'll be back over in England. Everything getting back to normal as much as it can um, in the English summer next year. So we'll see if England can turn it around in that eighteen months and put a team on the park that can deal with. Well, I'm sure we'll still be Cummins, Stark, and maybe Hazelwood, maybe Richardson, maybe some other fast bowler we haven't heard of. So, and um, Nathan Lyon, maybe, maybe Mitchell Swepson, maybe another spin bowler we haven't haven't quite uh, haven't quite popped their head up. But um, good to see Australia playing Test cricket, and good to see them about to go on the road and play Test cricket. And I think. Foxtel have got that series, so um, if you've got Foxtel or KO, you'll be able to watch that, and I will be getting the getting the young'uns to bed and settling in for a last session I think most days, so that'll be good. Now, um, on our, one of our earlier podcasts when we talked about cricket, we, talk, we did our uh, all-time one-day international teams, both Australia and the rest of the world, and we thought we needed to give the test team the same treatment Um, I'm, you know, I think it'd be fair comment, uh, you know, a bit of good banter to suggest that I was alive to see Bradman, bat, bat, but I wasn't, (laughs) um, I did when I toured Lords in 2010 was toured by a Yorkshireman, um, who had seen Bradman bat. And unfortunately they wouldn't allow me to kidnap him and ask him questions for the next two to three days. Um, (laughs) Yorkshire been to put on the earth to talk about cricket. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a phenomenal day and because there was a match on when we went on the tour. They don't let you in the long room, but they let you on the field at lunchtime if you uh, you get there at lunchtime. So I got very close to the hallowed turf and the lean is real. Um, but um, I digress. So what we've done <laughs> is from about 1990, so I was 10 in 1990, you were half that, um, our best Australian and non-Australian test teams. So, um, I'm going to read out my rest of the world team first because this is an interesting team. It didn't actually take me that long. There's one. I've got. I've got one spot where I've got two players named, and I I can't quite decide. Um, my head and my heart are arguing with each other, and they still haven't resolved that argument. But I'm going to start. The, I'm going to start the top. So my rest of the world team from the last 31, 32 years of test cricket. So my opening bats are Graham Smith and Verinda Saywag. Um, Smith earned my everlasting respect when in a dead rummer with a broken hand, he came out to try and save a test match against Australia in 2009. Um, I was on the tram coming home from work. It wasn't quite the era of smartphones yet. So I, I, I was, I can't remember, if I was following it, but I, I then found the tram going past the Imperial uh, on the corner of Spring and Burke Streets. And I just decided to get out of the tram and just go into the pub and watch um, the end of the test match. And Mitchell Johnson got his man right at the end. And Australia won a test match um, with Andrew McDonald batting six.
1: Yeah. 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 And Mitchell Johnson. Um was in the thick of a, a pretty brutal that that there was our home summer and we immediately went to South Africa afterwards, didn't we? Or and, and we yeah. went gone over there. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That was the Phil Hughes debut test series. Yeah. I think that's the Mitch Hayden's last test match. Yes. Yeah. So that was that was the summer of Mitch, really, the first one. Um he took the eight for sixty one in Perth in that mm. series where um mm-hmm. he just destroyed South Africa late one day. Um but Smith, a tremendous record. He's the he's more the anchor man. I do like a bit of um, fire and ice, I guess, with my opening partnerships. Saywag, um, two Test triple hundreds, uh, an incredible stroke player, um, and another very important tick has a has a big hundred in Australia, the one ninety seven on Boxing Day, two thousand and three. Um, in in an innings where no one else made any runs. So um, the rest of the top of the batting order, three, four, five, sort of picks itself. Um, Brian Lyra is three. You know, I think think everything that needs to be said about Brian Lyra has been said. Um, The only man with the test quad and and did it basically because Matthew had broke his record, so he felt like he had to win it back. Which is sort of the the most impressive thing about it is, oh I scored three seventy five and that stood for a decade and then you scored three, so I'll go oh I, I just I had to score again, scored it at the same ground as the three seventy five against the same opponent, um, <laughs> which is sort of what Bradman did four years apart at Leeds. um Tendulkar is four um. I was reading something about the, you know, the all-time the ICC rankings where they 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 put the formula through everybody's career ever, and Tendulkar was never like he didn't hit the top ten all time um, (laughs) in terms of his best highest highest ICC ranking.
1: Well, the system's flawed.
0: Yeah, I was watching. I was sitting there on that New Year's Test match in two thousand and four when he scored the two twenty. Um, and India were making seven for seven hundred. By yeah. the way, by the way, they set Australia four hundred to get on the last day, and Australia made three sixty without trying to get the runs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of a different test test team, test team, team in was. those days. Yeah. Um, it's another Indian at five. I've got Virat Kohli at five. Um, who's the best rise to the moment, rise to the challenge, uh, Test batsman I think I've seen in my time. Mm-hmm. Um just just an incredible record in Australia and when the stakes are highest and when the competition is toughest, he seemed to play the best. Um now here's where here's where I'm stuck. Yeah, we we yes.
1: both stuck because he's he, a guy you, you have to pick him. You have to pick him even though both of us would prefer not
0: to. Okay, well you pick him and I won't. You convince me. So that means there's a little bit of a jig in my order. So okay. at number six, I've got Kumar Sangakara as the keeper. Okay. Yep. So an incredible record. Another one of these guys who has a, a really wonderful hundred in Hobart, the one nine seven. Um, and I think what was it? Two? I don't. Know, I can't remember. It was a huge hundred. Um, and almost saved them the Test match. or well, just about won them the Test match. But and I think he got given out when he didn't hit it. So correct. Um. I I'm not going with Callis in my all rounder spot. You convinced me because. You're gonna. You can talk about him. Um, I'm going for Super Fred. I'm going for Andrew Flintoff, mm-hmm. um, who was the other one I had. And Flint was you know, the the 2005 Ashes series, uh, the the folklore of, give me the ball and I'm bowling till he's out, and just unplayable. Um, he was as
1: scary as he's. It was as scary as I can remember a, a bowler from another team being. We did not have an answer to Flintoff. It was um, it was remarkable, but and that's probably his series. That's his statistical outlier. And um, this team is very very good, um, but we'll, you'll need more runs from um, from your your top six uh, than I will. <laughs> but that's okay because they're pretty handy.
0: Fair enough. Um, I've got Akram at eight. Yeah, um, I've got two spinners. I've got Cumblay and Muraliterin. And with all huge apologies to Curtly Ambrose, who was the last man I left out. He, he's 12th man. And, you know, if you're in Perth, you you obviously wouldn't. I wouldn't pick Murali. Um, but no, that, my, my other fast bowler is Dale Steyn. Um, just an incredible record of consistency and... Um, you know, raw pace. So you've got the you've got the ability to move the ball um with that ground. And you've got three different types of bowlers. So that's my team, my rest of the world team and my captain is Smith.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well they're they're very, very similar. A lot of the yep. same names feature in my team. Um and, and even yep. the, perhaps the role they play. Um uh Smith doesn't make my team, but Alistair Cook does and it's, it's oh, it, you know, it, a coin toss it was um,
0: that's who I was yeah
1: um, Cook and Saywag so you know with fire and ice yet again um, remarkable Cook really like um, so many hundreds um, uh, you know by far and away the most by an Englishman and um, you know was the stalwart as you say um, of a really really good England team and one that uh, competed in australia a couple of times um, mm. saywag um, you, you could have if he batted till lunch you could nearly have lost the test match um, power um, and and yeah sort of changed the game from his position a little bit um, which you know allowed Warner to follow in his footsteps a little bit um yeah. I've got Sanger I've got Sanger Cara at three. I wanted to get funky with this team uh, over and over again. And I kind of have, um, uh, you know, I, I spent a long time Googling how many tests did Sangakkara keep in. And I think he kept in 48 and that's a lot of test matches. Um, it's enough. But... enough. Say again? It's enough. Yeah, it's enough. It's enough. I think you're right. But I also, I, you know, I don't know how often he batted at six. Um so all of all of that was in my consideration. I, I, I wanted A. B. De Villiers to take the gloves. I, I wanted I, he's one of my favourite cricketers ever, but he's been squeezed out. So I'm I'm having Sangakara at three, yep. Lara at four, Tendulka at five. Um I can I can recall Tendulka playing a lot of test match cricket at number five and it's pretty handy having him come in at that point. Um I've picked um Jacques Cullis, simply because by position he is the greatest statistical anomaly in world cricket just if we're talking 1990 onwards um no one comes close to those numbers um and so we've we might have even mentioned on the podcast before that he you know you're not going to necessarily tell your grandkids about Jacques Cullis in the way that um a few generations beforehand. I'm sure they're telling their grandkids about uh, Gary Sobers and the, the thrilling all-rounders that we've seen, even Andrew Flintoff and, and what he was able to do. Um, but by position, you could nearly pick someone else in every position, um, but statistically, you can't leave this bloke out. He um, spent a I, whole I, career I, I... bowling 140 clicks um, and taking... How many wickets? Three hundred wickets plus. two
0: hundred and ninety-two at thirty-two
1: point six. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty serious. Um, bowling a like lot to, of overs to, with an older ball to
0: go with. Yeah, to go with thirteen thousand two hundred eighty-nine Test runs at fifty-five with forty-five hundreds and fifty-eight fifties.
1: That is so silly that is so so that's <laughs> ludicrous to average 55 um and you know you could argue that he'd be wasted in this team because you know you'd be looking for him to press go um and and that wasn't necessarily his strength um when coming in at for for 400 as this team often would be you know um he might not get a bat um because at 7 and this is where this is where I did get funky with my team, anyway. Um, yep. There are a couple of blokes I was considering, but I've decided to give uh, the gloves and the captaincy to Brendan McCullum, Ooh. Um, which is a curveball, no doubt. Um, and he was a he was a very very good captain of a of a good New Zealand team, um, but I can't think of anyone more fun. To hand the keys of this world eleven to, um, because I think he would happily declare with Carlos on ninety nine not out and the team on you know seven hundred, and I'd be fine with that happening. Um, If you needed someone to press go, he brings himself up to number six and um, hits the most uh, sixes in Test cricket of all time. Um, I just think he would have captained this team with uh in, in the right spirit um and he was a brilliant cricketer to watch um and and you know at his best um through that through that world cup in australia and new zealand and uh, sort of around that time um uh, with a test triple century and um and all of that he was just a, he was a remarkable cricketer and 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 uh one i always enjoyed watching so at, at at the genuine wicketkeeper spot for me it was down to McCullum and and Dhoni um and perhaps Dhoni with the gloves uh has the edge um but for a remarkable cricketer Dhoni i thought that he you know indian cricket needed virat kohli um mm. so in order to win in australia um he he didn't he didn't do that as a captain for all his great gifts um, so I've gone with McCullum and I think he he, he will make watching this team really fun um, and from there um, I went the extra pace bowler so you know who they are Akram at 8 and he's my vice captain um, Stain and morally at 11 and I picked the 12th man for their fielding but probably also as a nod to the fact that I don't I think the weakness in my side would be uh spin from both ends. Um, yep. and my twelfth man is is Jadeja for his uh freakish fielding, um, you know, handy batting um and um very, very good off spin, depending on where they're playing. Um very the, good the the unlucky the unlucky guys, I mean A B de Villiers I just love um I, so I listed him and Coley uh, as the unlucky bats and I, I suppose, slash keeper for AB. Um, MS Doney, Uh I put Flintoff and Stokes as, as potentials for the uh, all-rounder spot. And Kane Williamson as well, I thought, um, is another superb cricketer um, that I've mm. really enjoyed watching.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cook and Smith was a close one for me. I didn't think too much about the 3-4-5, and I've got Sangakara keeping. So, um, obviously, I thought it was enough. Callus I mean, in in all seriousness, if we, you know, I I mean, I am just, I am a little bit trying to, you know, poke the bear if there's any South African callous stands out there. Obviously, his record (laughs) is um, really certainly amongst people who've played in my lifetime without, sorry, people who've played Test cricket since 1990 without peer. Um, But yeah, so, um, the Flintoff thing think, is probably just a little bit more, and, and, and Seven's too low to be batting Sangakara. Um I, 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 I thought with the third, with the all round, the fast bowling all-rounder, it enables you to play the two spinners. And I couldn't really pick between Kumble and Um because of the different, you know, the different skill sets and different things. So they would complement each other, I think. Um, Akram was the first fast bowler I picked. Stainer Ambrose was close. Um the other guy I had in my mind in terms of the fast bowling um was Sean Polly. Um
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean and Jimmy all... Anderson Jimmy Anderson probably deserves a bit of conversation. Um uh if if we're talking extra fast bowlers. Um mm. and the, the, the evergreen nature of the bloke means that we've we've you know seen him just get better and better, uh, you know. He'll decide when he walks away from the game, but he's going to do so with a, a whole heap of wh- uh, You know, for me, I, you've just got Sane there who can bowl genuine outswingers 10Ks quicker. So um, he, I'm not picking both of them, but, you know, he's in the conversation.
0: No worries. Yeah. Okay, on to the Australian team. Now, I mean, there was probably one spot where I really wanted to take a flyer, and we've talked about him already. But I, I wasn't that silly. Um, but I don't think it'll much. Um, and, and another one where I almost had someone else in someone else in the one of the one of the bowling spots. But we'll start with the openers. as it comes down to three. Um, and in the end, I just went with the two guys whose records I think are the best um, in that spot. Uh, and that is, I went with Matthew Hayden and Dave Warner. Um, Mark Taylor was the unlucky one, and probably fourth is Justin Langer. But um, yeah, I went with Hayden and Warner. I mean, Hayden's record is sort of ridiculous, especially considering how late in his his career he got going. Um, you know, his career his his record from probably his first fifteen tests wasn't that remarkable. Um, in the end, he's averaged fifty and made over 8,000 test runs. So an averaging 50 is an opening pass when you don't get the... In the modern supporting commentator parlance, the access uh, to not outs um, makes it all the more uh, incredible, that record. And and I think... sort of think Warner's underrated by a lot of people for what he's done. Um, and, you know, the the... The innings, are, the innings. Other than the one in Hobart, I always remember from Warner was is, is the the, the hundred in the session against, I think it was India in Perth, where mm-hmm. I think watching that, I g- genuinely thought this bloke might get four hundred,
2: because mm-hmm.
0: it's just like he just you you'd get up from the you get up from your chair for five minutes and you come back and you would have twenty more runs, so um, an, an incredible talent. And his commitment to not be foxhole as a short form player, the player only, um, I think, is testament to his um, determination, and his work ethic. Um, for all his faults, which I think boil down to one personality and two Stuart Broad, <laughs> basically. Um, I don't think I'd enjoyed batting him with him in the slip court. Let me put it that way. Um, number, th- I mean, the three is Ponting. Um, batting at number four is Steve Smith, and at number five is probably the tough one. Um, because I did want to play a, a proper all rounder, um, so I couldn't pick both, both of these guys, but it was a choice between Michael Clark and Steve War, Um, and and probably somewhat controversially, I've gone with Clark. Um, Again, probably underrated, but just went through incredible hot patches in his record, I think is very good. And, and he he has other attributes, I think, as well that, that hold him up. I, th- I think at some stage, if this team played, um, he would have to bowl an important spell at some stage. The all-rounder, and I guess, I mean, if we were picking a proper Australian team, I think, you would pick Steve Warren in this spot. Um, and I'm sort of talking myself into it. Um, but after briefly considering Cameron Green,
2: <laughs> um,
0: I decided to pick Shane Watson. Um, again, I mean, it's just it seems to be a recurring theme with, guys from this generation like Warner and Clark and Watson. I mean, Warner's probably not of that generation. He's probably the next one, but certainly Clark and Watson are of the same generation. And they, I don't know because of what happened on a couple of ashes tours or, or, or things of that nature, or the fact that they were the standard bearers for a, for a group of cricketers post, you know, the Warne, McGrath, Langer, Hayden, Gilchrist generation, then they probably, Lose a bit um, in that. But, um, and and you know and Shane Watson, a well earned reputation as the worst reviewer of an umpire's decision of all time, despite Tim Payne's best efforts. Um, the wicketkeeper keeper, I don't really need to talk about because that's obvious it's Adam Gilchrist. Um, the, the one spin bowler is Shane Warren. Have you seen the Warne documentary, which is currently on Amazon Prime? No. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not overly long. Um, it's good, but it's it's like a lot of other documentaries of its ilk. Um, but there's a, I mean, there's that. There's the test. If you haven't seen that, people listening, um, there's a there's a there's a couple of cricket reasons to get Amazon Prime, and I've also got some other documentaries. I've got the all the all or nothing behind the the scenes documentary. I haven't watched any of those. They've got the they've got a Premier League documentary series. They've got the, the uh, making their mark one from the 2020 AFL season, which is very good, which I think we've discussed on this podcast. But yeah. I've got three fast bowlers, and they are Pat Cummins, Jason Gillespie, and Glenn McGrath. My twelfth man is the man. I almost picked him ahead of Gillespie, and it's Ryan Harris. Yeah. Um I did not consider picking Brett Lee. No, to be, nor did to I. Be fair to Brett who's maybe Australia's greatest short-form fast bowler. He's either one or two. Um but I probably I could have almost entertained picking Stuart Clark ahead of Brett Lee as a test bowler, but that's just me. I still haven't gotten over the fact that they played Brett Lee in England in 2001 for 5 test matches ahead of Damien Fleming. <laughs> um somehow never played a test match in England. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, that's my team. Harris is my 12th man, but I, I have a feeling your team's going to be quite different because I'm talking myself out of guys left, right and centre just looking at it. It's not... How do I no, leave that leave- Steve Waugh? Oh, I managed it. I somehow managed it. Yeah. Michael Clark, uh,
1: captain. Michael Clark, captain. Okay. Um, yeah. To, to me, the interest in the team, I, I think the first five guys picked themselves and and that was what I thought as I compiled the team. Um, and to hear you pick the same five guys makes me feel good about that. Um, at, there's interest in, in yep. I think, uh, and then the third fast bowler, whichever way you go with that. Um, and I went for um yep. and in the absence of uh Mark for me is probably a fair way down the list um of, of test openers I've seen as a pure bat because um who, who love Tubby will reference nineteen eighty-nine um and hmm. and therefore you you carve a lot of hundred career by starting in nineteen ninety, which um Alan Border also suffered for. Um but where it might have been nice to to hand the keys of the te- of of this team over to either of those men um Steve War will captain this side um and I think that'll mean that again you know it, it'll be a a fairly brutal style of cricket but you know Steve War captaining Matthew Hayden is just fun because Matthew Hayden is is an absolute bully of a cricketer as 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 brutal as Dave Warner can be, um, and as as quickly as he can take the game away from you, there's never been a more imposing cricketer in in my lifetime than Matthew Hayden. Um, when he was in a mood, it well, was
0: there just was, there. There was something there was something about turning the top of your mark at the top at the start of a Test match as a fast bowler, like especially if you were your first Test match it's at the Gabba. There's Hayden, the Queenslander, at the other end, and he's he's halfway down the pitch. Yeah, he was and, just and they would look yeah. even bigger, considering he's a huge fan. But he's also you know three feet out of his crease,
1: and just and just ready to. Yeah, I mean, bully is the right word for it. I couldn't. Yeah, um, it was it was hard to appreciate at the time because you always watching Australia bat. You have. I think even in that great era, I I was never cocky. I was cocky about test matches, but never scenarios. Like I was never sitting there mm. thinking, oh, he's just going to make a million today. But you go back and watch videos of, of Matthew Hayden batting and it, it must've been awful to be an opposition um, cricketer or supporter. It, it, he would have made you feel yep. worse than anyone else. And he had that, that smirk on his face and, if Warner's got chirped from the slips, then then I believe Matty Hayden's about the best we've ever produced from from the gully, and yeah. um, I, I think you know War sending those two guys out to make five runs and over, where you know Langer and Hayden would would oftentimes score four, and it it was just the game was changed forever um, in that era. But um, that's why they won so many Test matches. I mean, it was just brutal. Um, so yeah, yeah and. The, um
0: I mean the 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 example of what you're talking about with Hayden that comes to mind above all others is I think in Melbourne in two thousand and two he hit Craig White just over his head for six. Mm. And and White I think has done something like just turned to his captain or, or would have been Nasser Hussain, or just or said something just like that you know, that's the best ball I can bowl. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's gone you know, twelve rows back over the sight screen in the old <laughs> members' stand. Yeah, at the MCG, it's just like it's that look of just like I can't do anything else. You know, I don't have if any more I, tricks up my face, face.
1: If I'm going to face the best ball that any English cricketer can bowl, I might pick Craig White, but it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a good point
0: regardless. Uh, I think I think Mark Elam might be who I'd have. But,
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so. You know ponting just just the best, and again i am appreciating him more and more as time goes by. But to hear modern cricketers talk about Ricky Ponting turning up to training and still you know drilling one stump side on and just still being an absolute freak of nature um yeah. he's he's just so so special.
0: a lovely um, ponting moment yesterday on my Twitter feed when the you know we we this is why we did knighthoods. Um, in Australia, um, so Sir Rob Moody uh, (laughs) on Twitter had uh posted the 10 minute highlights of that third final from the world's from the uh tri series in 1998. Uh, And um, yeah, Ponting, it's a it's it's uh, as far as I'm concerned, the icon I know we're talking about one day cricket again, but it's the iconic Ponting run out is the Gary Kirsten one, oh, yeah, which is made all the more iconic by the fact that. I think Laurie's commentating, but you know, unlike Bill, there's a moment of silence from the commentary box as Kirsten hits the balls almost straight to pomting and then takes off. So you just hear the cra- You just hear Gilchrist on the stunt mic go, Pada! yeah, and then he just he hits him, and then yeah. just runs past the demolished stumps. I can remember watching that, you know, live, and it was just like, "Oh, we got him." They won- They they beat us in every match in the in the preliminary round and the first final in Melbourne. And then they move Gilchrist to the top of the order. He hits a hundred and wins the second final. And then the third final, Ponting not. I, know, I think Kirsten was just about their best bat that summer. Um, that final would have been about a week before he made that hundred in Adelaide. Um. And it just I mean they had it also had a ridiculously long batting order. I mean, they had like Brian McMillan mm. batting, batting eight or nine. Mm. Um so but um I think watching the rest of their highlights, I think Ponting had another run out and another couple of catches in that innings. Um
1: just yeah, absolute freak show. Yeah. And 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 the nice thing, I mean, he's yeah, the tradition of great um, Australian test captains and their fielding. I mean, Ponting's ended up in the slips as a very, very good slipper, but I'll remember him, you know, um, on the ring, um, you know, particularly in ODI cricket, I suppose, but you know, this team is, a, you know, it'd be interesting to see who fielded in the slips when it was all said and done. Um, um Steve Smith would lay a claim, obviously, but Clark and Ponting were both lethal with their arms. Um,
0: good. Good uh, luck sending Warden to the covers. Good luck.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a slipper
0: because he didn't want to run. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Let's, well, that's let's... right. He's in there. Um, so Smith at four, um, remarkable what he's done, and and everyone who's listening to this podcast has has seen it all. Um, so we're very lucky. Um. Picked him at eight and had him bowling some tweakers, but I thought I think the Smith will all remember is, um, you know, post sandpaper, um, and that just ridiculous series in England where they couldn't boo him any longer. Um, it, it's oh, incredible, I'll, it's it's yeah. the it's it's incredible that,
0: uh, and the part of then that then the show the test when I mean yeah. he makes the runs in the first test and then what happened at Lord's. Just just incredible documentary footage. Yeah. And yeah. then and, you... and then the third test, which of course everything would have in the Stokes and Smith's not playing, and then the fourth test. Just um just incredible. And and you know, uh, you and I are probably of the same opinion in terms of and you know, we've seen him lead the team again now in Adelaide because of what happened with Cummins there and him being ruled out. But um you know, regardless of that, his legacy as a batsman. Um at the absolute highest echelon. I mean, he is for a long time. I've thought in in an all time team, Australian team, the three, four, five is, um, he's ponting Bradman and Greg Chappell. Um, but Smith does give one pause to think maybe he is, can break into that. I mean, if Bradman's on a tier by himself as a cricketer and probably as a, as a, as a, performer in a team sport to be perfectly truthful um but ponting and chapel are probably at the next level in Chappell, and, and i've made this point before to you both on this podcast otherwise chapel's sort of the forgotten uh man in australian cricket in terms of his record and what he did but mm. you know, i think i think smith's at that level um where i don't think i don't think clark or war or border um or neil harvey are at that level in terms of non-opening bats, so mm. you know it, it, there's four of them, and I don't know who you necessarily leave out, and I'm sort of I sort of rail against recency bites. We see we saw Steve Smith, you know, t- three weeks ago, so um,
1: yeah, and and I think you're right. In fairness, we're seeing a decline, and it, there's there's pundits who wonder whether that that brutal blow um, you're describing from Jofra Archer, whether he's whether he's necessarily been the same since that um, with so many of the great runs behind him in England um, but yeah just yeah absolutely remarkable career mm. um I picked Clark at five as well and and this side is is more balanced um, across five days than the world eleven I picked um, because because of everything you mentioned and Clark's super handy left arm off breaks yeah. Um,
0: did you, did you think about Michael Hussey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't. But, yeah, it's, it's much of a muchness. I think Hussey not playing until he was 31 means he probably gets the best run. Um, you, know, you, you have to think that Michael Clarke's record is, is uh, in some way affected by playing on longer than he might have with mm. uh, a sore back and starting earlier than he might have because he was a freak show. Yeah. Um Hussey got to play his trade, you know, did you consider Adam Voges? I know yeah. I know Adam Voges is not Michael Hussey but um you know if the the old tried and true method of of just just belting out runs in the shield until you that you can't not be picked um must have been nice for for Michael Hussey but
0: you know, he's uh, I I'm not
1: sure I'm not sure if that
0: possibility is available to West Australian batsmen anymore. No. Uh, uh are, are the, you know, when they're allowed when when people are allowed back <laughs> well, I'm I'm being facetious. <laughs> um, but um yeah. yeah. Um uh, I, yeah. You're, I think you're right. And I think I think that the hundred dollars remember from Clark is the hundred he scored after Phil Hughes died. Which yeah which was just like that, that's, that, that, that's who Michael Clark really is. So there's a whole lot of other stuff that rub people the wrong way. And, and, um, which I think, and, and you know, I didn't care much for, I'll, I'll break your arm. Mm. Um, you know, I've played a little bit of cricket. I never, ever spoke to an opponent and I was, I, I kept, you know, I talked, but I didn't, I didn't talk to the opponents. So I I talked so they could hear it, but, um, so he didn't care for that. But the 100 he made after that, which was just basically, you know, this is the best way I can honor, one of, you know, my best mate. i going to make this 100, and, I'm, you know, if I, my body falls apart doing it, then so be it. But mm. I'm going to make this 100, I think is just, you know, like you have to be a very, very special sports person to be able to do that. And scoring 100 is really hard.
1: He had bravery. He had some seriously brave knocks for Australia, and he also mm. had a couple of summers where, he was untouchable. Mm. Um, he India was seemed untouchable. to cop the worst of it a couple of times. Yeah, he was as untouchable as Ricky Ponting was, you know, five years previous. Mm. Um, yeah, for He's... two summers in a row, South Africans. He certainly got to that well. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the South Africans kind of saying, "We knew he was good, but we didn't know he was this good." Um, mm. One summer when they came out, and and uh, I think he and Ed Cowan actually batted all day, but. Um, Clark was making a lot of runs. Um, I'm taking forever with this team. Seven is right. is obvious. The third seamer was. Um, it was interesting to hear you rattle off some of those names. And and Ryan Harris. Um, it was it was a nice it was nice to remember Big Rhino and and some of his achievements. Um, but at eight, I went with Mitchell Johnson, and um, he probably gets in my team. Uh, you know, in similar fashion to you picking Flint off. It's only. It's only one or two um, really great Some, um, but, you know, a test hundred batting at number eight, uh, a left armor in this pace attack, um, a genuine weapon that I think Steve Waugh would have known how to use this bloke. <sighs> um, if we, if, when I, when I look at the remainder of my pace attack, I love the variation that Mitchell Johnson gives me if I just want to knock someone's head off in a <laughs> um, four-over spell. He he has to have the mustache. He he is brilliant in the field. He uh, he's as as pure a cricket talent as I think we've ever produced. Um, and and the, the record the, is just fine. The
0: the 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 react when he cleaned Bowles Anderson in Adelaide in oh. 2013 he was just a phenomenal reaction that I, I can remember watching that after in cricket and he's just, he just went through them. Mm. Um, he was, a, you know, probably, I mean, he was probably the biggest handful you could have as a, as a batsman. When he was, when he was on, um, he was, he was almost impossible to play to yeah, survive just against.
1: Terrifying. Yeah. Just terrifying. Just, just, yeah, uh, yeah, an absolute weapon, and 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 another one that kind of fits that, um, yeah, that kind of brutal cricket that Steve War liked to play. Uh, he would have loved to. You have picked had,
0: a Steve War team.
1: Yeah, Mitchell Johnson at his disposal to just, yeah, to just brutalise them. Um, yeah, you can interchange nine and ten. Um, I, I put I put Pat Cummins down at at number nine and Warn at 10. Um, Yep. uh, I think maybe on batting talent, Warn has him, but uh, Cummins has made some pretty important runs over the journey. And I think there's probably, there's probably still some big runs in him. Um, I think he could probably make a hundred one day. Um, It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think that's the knock on Warn.
0: I don't think that's the knock on Warn. I think Warn's, one it was his ability especially later in his career the second half of his career to make important runs mm. Mm. so that, i mean age Baston, where he i think made a pretty big until he, he trod in his stumps mm. it was on about 70 or 80 um and it dug them out of the hole i mean that's that's another interesting about the documentary is sort of you know getting a full appreciation for what was going on um all of his own doing by the way but um <laughs> what was going on uh during that series, so.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: and and well, how good and, it was. I mean, it was one of the, maybe the best series ever by, uh, by a spin bowler, that 2005 series. I mean, it's part of the reason and, why it might be the best test series of all time is is yes. not just the fact that England were, the way they were and how close the cricket was, everything, but how warm bowled.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly in, in the best couple I've seen.
0: Especially um, by that, that
1: stage, he had one ball. You know, he was
0: yeah. early. Young Warn was. Oh, I got this one, and I got that one. The flipper and all that sort of stuff. By two thousand and five, it was just, it was just bowling the leg spinner slightly different. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, just a freak show, and he's pretty handy coming in at number ten in this side, and he'll he, he'll need to be because at number eleven is, his Pigeon, um, and I, I like the way you're picking your your twelfth man, um, because. It, Building doesn't seem to come into it. Um, you, you get to pick another player who uh, could be in one of those positions on merit. And look, there was a there were a couple of summers there um, where where my twelfth man, um, you know, was was a, as exciting a player as there was in Test match cricket. Um, but for his ability to replace Warren if if he'd had enough of fielding for for a couple of hours um and the fact that he can then parole the covers with uh, michael clark and maybe ricky ponting at backward point means that andrew simons is my 12th man
0: I i thought about simons for the watson spot but um it was bright i was happy to be outrageous and i mean you the word you use is funky with your world of world 11 um I was probably a bit but with the Australian team, I think it probably just speaks to our personalities. Um I'm I'm probably not from as much as I loved how Mark Taylor and Michael Clark captain and they were more of that um genre. I'm probably not if I was captain, I'd probably more moving away from the Ian Chapel school of captaincy. So I, I think my team's probably a bit safer. Um, but you've decided Steve Waugh's the captain and I'm gonna you know, pick a Steve Wall team. So yeah. that's fair enough. Having said that, we've got Steve War and Mitchell Johnson, right? the two we've got two people different. So, yeah, that's
1: right, that's right. So I think and all that's-,
0: that's left now on the next podcast is to like obscure one-day cricketers from the nineteen eighties, like the Simon Davis All Stars.
1: <laughs> well, we did say we were also going to pick. Uh, I think you should just pick an eleven from. Uh, Australia and the world, so every, everyone's in yeah. there, and they've they they're playing all, and there's you've got eleven blokes.
0: Okay, well, 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 we will we'll have to do that next time we talk about cricket.
1: That sounds good. I think it would be remiss uh, of us not to mention that the best Test match of the Australian summer, um, took place when all the men had gone home, and um, I watched quite a lot of it. Um, and I, like I've been guilty of not watching enough women's cricket over the journey, um, you know, as we've seen some of the greatest cricketers the game's ever produced, um, particularly in Australian colours. But you know, with, there's some unbelievable names this summer, and and um, some great stories all all weaved into it. But the girls put on an incredible display of four day cricket with a whole day lost to rain, um, mm. and and that last day was as good as any I'd seen um, this summer particularly and certainly. Um, but, yeah, I, hats off to the ladies. It was probably I'm the best of declaration the, of the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, we, I don't know how long we're going to – and and to finish that test match, and there's a lot of commentary around, around, you know, there's, there's not a single other woman's test match on the calendar. I think there's since been one announced um, in England um but to complete such an epic you know and 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 they're, they're saying things on commentary like oh meg lanning chasing that elusive test hundred and and you look at her record and she goes oh, she has struggled a bit in this format and then you see that she's played seven or eight test matches total hmm. um it's a it's a blight
0: well the aussies um, play one every drinks. two years
1: do yeah it's just it's I just mean, terrible Or is it one every summer you know, we um, we talk about Elise Perry's you know insane run in Test cricket, and it's right, and you know, but she's still playing one every other year, and um, it's it just shouldn't happen because th- these are the best uh, these are the best women's cricketers that have ever existed. I think it's this, brilliant to watch.
0: The Australian women's cricket team is proof of what happens when you actually invest. And when I say invest, you could do all the grassroots stuff you want. But they actually made a conscious decision along with the men that the women should just should be paid a wage so they can be professional cricketers. Mm. I I'm, I'm, I'm I can see all the sorts of arguments and I don't weigh into it because I tend not to get moralistic about what people watch. Um as long as you know, p- as long as it's not something where we're just, oh, we're gonna watch a sport because people get hurt. I don't I don't watch mixed martial arts. I don't consume Boxing or anything like that because it's just like there, there are easier ways to make a quid nowadays. But, um, but, you know, I can see all the arguments for and against and, and everything like that. But we've just gone through this period in the last few weeks since the end of the Hobart Test match, where I think, to be fair, if there was Test cricket on, we still would have, you know, men's Test cricket on, we still would have been spending in the last two weeks watching the Australian women's cricket team play in a wonderful Test match and Ash Barty. Um, yeah. So you know, there's this whole argument going on with the with the with the female women um, I haven't been really able to you know sit down and, and try and watch any women's football this year. Um, I have in previous years, um, but obviously not to the same extent I watched the men um, but, you know they're they're being asked to do a lot at the moment with matches being postponed and 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 things like that because of COVID, um, and they're not fully professional. And I don't say that in terms of their attitude or how they train or how they prepare. They're not fully professional because they're not they they're not paid in a way that's that that's all they do. Mm. They have other jobs. So in the same way that VFL footballs weren't fully professional in the, the early nineteen eighties, these these women aren't fully professional, and they're being asked to sacrifice a whole lot. And part of that, even if even if COVID wasn't causing a problem, is playing, you know, on a Saturday afternoon in the first week of January. Yeah. Um, I sort of feel like the AFL women won't be a fair Dinkum competition um, until they're playing at the same time as the men because it's a winter sport yeah absolutely so um but you know i th- i i think it'd be wonderful to see more women's test cricket especially if they can continue to approach it with the same attitude and i think part of that is something that would sound almost sacrilegious to approach at the men's game is this multi-format ashes and having you know a trophy at the end of it where all the different competitions um. Contribute to the overall who, win, yeah. who wins the summer, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't. I have no expectation that that's going to happen anytime in in men's cricket. You know, we couldn't get the English year for anything other than five test matches, and you know, a couple of warm up games that I don't know if they were open to the public or not. But you know, I think we are getting this is. I don't. I don't foresee this changing a while, the way these summers are going to go, and the where these tours are going to go, where, where teams are going to have to send essentially two teams uh, on tour, like an A team and a B team, so they can have you know, backups in case something happens. Um, except for, you know, Australia and New Zealand and, you know, we were supposed to be playing one day matches against New Zealand and that had the kibosh put on. again. So, yeah. yeah. So we try and build this and, um, you know, New Zealand are going you know as well you know historically as they ever have and we just can't seem to play any sort of form of cricket against them because either they can't come in here or we can't go in there or they can't go mm. back there or we can't come back here so it's a shame it is for everyone um we I will I will put those teams up that we named on the Facebook page I, if I if I promised to do that last time and I didn't I apologize but uh, mm. when we did the one day teams but I I I'll, I'll try and get those up on the Facebook page so that you can have a look and maybe do a poll and see whose who's teams prefer, which, which you know, then there's not much difference between other teams. So um might be much of a nudge-ness. Um Cameron, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. And um next time we'll be – it's not long. It's next month the AFL season starts. So – um AFL preview pod will be coming up very soon, I would imagine, and your team's playing my team in round one. So,
1: Magnificent.
0: Sounds good. Okay, thanks very much, Cameron. Cheers, partner. Well, thank you, and I'll catch you next time on the podcast. It should go that saying.
2: Cheers.